We've been talking the last few weeks about the fivefold revelation of grace that was given to the Apostle Paul. What a, an amazing revelation uh, that, uh, to, to give to the church. And when we understand this thing about God's grace, it really helps to strengthen us because it gives a good foundation. It gives us an assurance of who God is and who we are in him. Gives, them a, gives us an assurance of our salvation. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not how good we are or how bad we are. It's how good Jesus was and what he did. And when we accept that, when we believe in him, we receive him as our Savior, God then accepts us, and so we see his saving grace put into effect and his favor that's on our life and how that we can have salvation and a promise of eternal life through him it's amazing and we looked at uh, uh, and, and when that happens God miraculously places us into the body of Christ and he says that we are in Christ and um, and and that uh, gives us all these privileges that we're in the body of Christ and we, we've been been uh, immersed into him and then he comes into us you know when we receive the Lord we talk about his spirit coming in you know Christ comes into our heart or however those expressions are Christ is in us. It's his spirit then repowers us. Our spirit that was dead because of trespasses and sin, that we were dead uh, before Christ, he, we receive him and he brings us to life. We're born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. We are regenerated, repowered. That dead, uh, our dead spirit becomes now alive and we receive eternal life in him. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. The expectation of glory, of his character being manifest in us, his authority, his abundance, uh, all of those things that that word glory means. So we see then that we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, and it gives to us this hope, this expectation. And through that, we find then another dimension of aspect of grace, and that's the liberating grace. Uh, and where he liberates us, he frees us then from this power of sin that's at work against us. We've been freed from the penalty and guilt of sin through salvation and from him declaring us to be righteous. Now then he gives to us, it also expands and that grace gives us that freedom then that we can be free from the power of sin that's always hitting us every day of our life. You know, Satan comes and he tries to, uh, to work against us and we find our, our old creation, our old nature wanting to do maybe some of the things it used to do. And we have to remind our old nature that, hey, wait, we're dead. We died with Christ. Now we're alive in a newness of life. And that's the process that we go through every day in our spiritual life of really gaining authority over our flesh, as the Bible talks about it a little bit in the King James, and over this old nature, who we used to be. So we have to continue to remind ourselves that we're not who we used to be. You know, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And so we're not, we're not alive. He didn't save us to, for us to live a life of ourselves and for all of our um, desires that we have. We're, he saved us to live for him, that he might use us in, in ministry to those around us. So we lay ourselves down. We die to ourselves, but we're alive unto God. Does that make sense? And so we see that grace is there to help us in this freedom. It's not a freedom to do what we want. It's a freedom to do what we ought to do freedom to be free that God can use us every day for his divine opportunities that he might bring into our life. 
And then that brings us to the point as we begin to grow in him and as we continue to, as Paul said, I die daily, die to ourself, our flesh, but be alive unto God. Then we realize that we have a part to do in, in the body of Christ, that we're not alone in this thing, that there's members of this body and God has placed every member in the body just as he's desired it to be, that we might all work together and accomplish his divine plan. So we see that the enable, uh, how grace enables us to be what God's designed us to be. And we can never do it on our own. You know, before the foundation of the world, God created us. He designed us to do something for him. And then we get to thinking, how could I ever do that? Well, we can't do it on ourselves, but we need God's grace. And the Apostle Paul says, by the grace given me, I do this, or I was able to do that, or whatever. And so we find that that's the same way in our life. That when we feel like God's calling us to do something, uh, you know, physically or financially or whatever, that he enables us to do those things to accomplish it by his grace. Grace is God-given desire and power to do his will. It's his unmerited favor, nothing we can do to deserve it. It's his favor, and his favor rests upon us. He's the creator of the universe. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. His favor and his favors, man, they, they're impactful. They impact things, and that rests upon us. And so in that, that gives us a new desire to do his will, to want to do his will. You know, on our own self, we want to do our will, right? So we need something to help us want to do his will. And we find that that grace, as it works on us, gives us a desire not to necessarily do what we want to do, but to do what God wants us to do. And then we, we realize that we're part of a body of believers. If I do my part and you do your part, hey, we'll, we'll all together, we'll be able to do what none of us individually could do. And it's not necessarily one plus one equals two, you know, that we can do just that much more. But no, we find out it's a multiple like that God says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. So together, we're 10,000 times more powerful together when we are functioning in God's grace than we were individually. So we find that he enables us to do what he's called us to do. And it's just amazing because we think, well, how can we ever do this? Now, um, it's exciting as we've been working together and you see people, you know, sometimes somebody would say, well, I can come on such and such day and help out. All of a sudden, several people show up. We didn't expect it. Man, I'm sure glad you showed up. You know, there's no way we could have got that done. And then together, we're able to get it done, and it's a lot of fun. And you just see how God works. He works in people's hearts and in, in, in their lives. He lays something upon their heart to do, and they go and do it. Wow, then you're able to accomplish so much more with those around. So that, this week has been kind of a... Um, visual confirmation of what God says that we can do as a body of believers. For instance, some of the things that we do in Africa, there's no way we could do it you know, individually, but yet collectively we're able to accomplish so much more. So we see that how God's grace enables us to, to do all these things, and it's, in, it's, it's the unity and oneness of the body that comes together. Then last week we looked at the promise of grace that God tells us that, hey, you know, if you serve me, and you're not necessarily serving yourself, but you're doing what I've called you to do. And uh, you're laying down your life, and you're, as Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He said, you know, I, I want to do God's will, and it's a higher calling than what our will is. He gives us a promise out of that. He says, hey, in, in Revelation chapter 3.10, because you've kept 
the word of my patience or my command, he says, to, to wait patiently, I also will keep you from that hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world. And we looked at that last week of how there's a promise that as we're serving him, you know, laying ourselves down and just being faithful to what he's called us to do, just being faithful to what he's called us to do, he promises to keep us out of this future trial that's going to come upon the whole world. Talks about it through the book of Daniel and, and through Revelation. It talks about that there's going to be seven years of tribulation that's coming. It's going to be a time like no other time. That there's going to be uh, a man of sin will be revealed and he'll become the Antichrist and he'll be in charge of all things. And you've heard those things and he'll be his will, uh, you know, man of sin or iniquity, um, that lawlessness of where it's his will. And Satan begins to exert his will upon the face of the earth. But those that are overcoming every day and are serving the Lord become a part of what Paul begins to bring about in the revelation of a bridal group that's looking for the bridegroom. And Jesus said, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come back and, and receive you and take you to where I am. And that's kind of a picture of the, the Jewish wedding process of where there, there was an engagement. Then the bridegroom would go off and he would prepare the house and get everything ready so that he could marry this, this woman, his bride. So then once he got everything ready, he'd come back and get her. And then he would take her to where he was, for where he had prepared for him. They'd have a wonderful celebration, have that, uh, that marriage and the marriage supper and all these things. That's a picture of those that are just uh, wanting and longing and loving to be in that particular type of, uh, to be that type of believer that is desiring to be the bride of Christ. And so he promises that if that's the way that we're living, he's got something prepared for us. And then one of it is to escape these things that's going to come upon the, the face of the earth. And that those that aren't, they're kind of uh, doing their own thing. As he said in Matthew 24, that uh, to that servant, you know, he said, I'll come in a time when you think not. And I'll appoint you a portion with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Sandy was talking about, well, what's that weeping and gnashing of teeth? I said, it's an expression of agony and extreme stress and, and things that are happening. Through that first three and a half years of the tribulation, there's some extreme stress. And, and it's, it's a trial and it, there's opposition against believers. And, and so uh, that happened. There, there will be some that go into that first three and a half years. They're caught up in, in the middle of that. After the first three and a half years, they're taken out. And we see that in Revelation chapter 7, this great innumerable company that comes up out of great tribulation. And they have these robes that they have washed because they, they became spotted after they received them because they were doing their own thing and they were doing the things of the world. And uh, it says that then that they come up and they have palm branches that they sing songs of salvation belongs to our God. And so there's a lesser place for them. They weren't ruling and reigning in their own life. And so they're really not ruling and reigning then with Christ then. They're there just as a kind of an outer company, you know. And, and uh, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, Paul says there, whether we're awake or asleep with him, he, we know that we're going to live together with him forever. So we have eternal life, but yet we don't have that promise of being of the bridal company that's taken out before any of these things happen. So we talked about the promises. Now, I want to talk about the benefits of grace. And there's some wonderful retirement benefits here, you know, for all eternity. He gives us this promise of ruling and reigning with Christ. 
That's the fifth part of this revelation that Paul has given us of grace. The benefits of grace are that we, there's a promise for us to rule and reign with him. And look in, Revel, or in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, one of the first expressions uh, that Paul gives to this about the grace and about ruling with him, we find it here in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says there, uh, Romans 5, verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The word that's used there for reign is basiluo, and it means to rule, literally and figuratively to rule as a, with authority, as kingly authority, to reign, but it emphasizes rule. And so Paul says that... Um, to those, uh, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in this life, rule in this life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It talks about, really, here's the whole concept. The degree that we rule and reign with Christ now in this life is going to determine the position or the capacity that we rule and reign with him for all eternity. So how do you rule and reign with him now? Well, we, take, we live like kings and priests. We, we overcome, when the enemy comes against us, we exercise uh, divine authority, that royal authority of the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's, he's given to us that authority that we can exercise that now and rule, not be ruled over. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son whom he loves. We're no longer under the authority and the dominion of Satan. When you become a believer, Satan doesn't have dominion or authority over you. He doesn't rule over you anymore. He has no right to rule over you or govern you. We're in a new kingdom. We're, in a, we're in, under the kingdom of God's dear son. And these words of ruling and reigning, it gives this, uh, the emphasis of co-regent, to be a co-regent or a co Air to reign in conjunction with, you know, alongside of. We now rule alongside of, of Jesus as he rules. So he's given to us all authority. In fact, he, he told his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you this authority that you can, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He also said that greater things than these shall you do. What he had done, he said, you, you can do greater things than these. So he's trying to tell us that while we're here on earth, we have this position and calling to rule on earth. We're to exercise dominion and authority right now. You know, and to put down darkness and put down the, the oppressiveness of the enemy and to help liberate the kingdom of darkness and to fill up the kingdom of God's dear son. Or as they say, unload hell, load up heaven. <laughs> so, you know, we're to be doing that. Win the lost, develop the saved. And we do that by ruling with Christ, uh, allowing him to, uh, taking that authority that he's given to us, exercising it right now, right now in this life. We can do that by his grace, his favor. He gives to us favor now that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. What does that mean? If you got something in the mail that says, from some attorneys that says, oh, we've discovered that you're the long-lost heir of so-and-so, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it's legit. After you check it out, like, yeah, right. After you check it out, it's legit, you know, and, and um, that you've, you know, you've inherited all this, you know, abundance. And you're like, really? And so when you check it out, you find out it's really legit. I mean, wouldn't you get excited about that? Start checking into it and maybe then begin to use it. So you go through a process of revelation of really understanding it, seeing if it's right to uh, kind of like, okay, this is cool, to actually exercising it, using it, writing a check on that account and, and, and using it. Well, see, that's kind of the way the Christian life is. We hear these things that we have dominion and authority, that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know, that Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it's got to obey you. If any two agree uh, as touching anything, any one thing here on this earth, well, he says, I'm there in the midst. I'm in agreement with you. And again, whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we're hearing those things like, really? Really? Is this legit? Really? But when we begin to exercise that authority and we see that it, it, it happens, then it's like, yeah, that's right. But we have this responsibility to live like if you are a king and a priest, we're supposed to live like a king and a priest. So to the degree that we do that here on earth is going to determine the degree and the capacity for all eternity that we're going to rule and reign with him. Making sense? Now, just because you are a king and a priest, a lot of people don't live like it. I remember reading about Prince Charles. This was a long time ago. Prince Charles came to the United States, and he went to Dallas, Texas. And so he's getting off the plane in Dallas, Texas, and they, they, give him this, they bring this big cowboy hat over to him, you know, put this cowboy hat on him. The Dallas cheerleaders are there doing their little thing, you know, and all that stuff. And so they wanted to take this photo op. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? You know, you look good in the hat. <laughs> you know, let's sit with these girls with hardly nothing on, standing around you and all this. He says, no. He said, I, I represent my country. He says, I can't do that. I, I represent my country, and, and that just was, wouldn't be right. And so he, did, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't give them their photo op. And you know what? In a way, that's the way we ought to be. We're representing heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And we are a, not just a prince, but we are a king and a priest. And that's, that might be, if, if there's something below you, really, as a king and a priest, we shouldn't be doing it because we represent heaven. When people see us and what we're doing then we're giving them, we're communicating to them that, hey, this is what heaven's like. This is what, what uh, a king and a priest is like in this kingdom. You know, communication's an interesting thing. Uh, not just words that we speak out, but everything you do communicates. You know, your life communicates and, and what you wear communicates and, and uh, what you do, what you say, what you eat, who you hang out with. All that communicates something, doesn't it? And so... That's why that we need to be careful because that communication then is telling somebody who we are and what we believe and who we represent. We represent the kingdom of God. So is that how we're supposed to represent him? Now Jesus was cool because, you know, he hung out with people that, no, that the, the religious group wouldn't hang out with. And that's what I think was cool about Jesus was that, you know, he said, wait a minute, the love of God passes all social barriers and all these things. Jesus was a barrier breaker. You know, and those that, that people that, that the scribes and Pharisees wouldn't go near, the lepers, those that were sick, those that they said were unclean, are the publicans, you know, the, the sinners and stuff. Jesus didn't go and do what they did, but he came to where they were and he let them know that there's a better way. You don't have to stay this way. 
And so whatever it was that they, they needed, he expressed and communicated the message of heaven and eternity to them. And whether it was rise up and walk or, you know, go and sin no more, whatever it was, he let them know, but he came to where they were. So it's not a matter of being where, uh, you know, because we're, there's these things all around us at all times. But when you're in those situations, you are representing the kingdom of light. Amen? doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It means that we're trying to let people know that who God is and who his kingdom is and that his kingdom has come to them this day. Amen. Amen. You know, that's what Jesus had said at one time. You know, the kingdom of God has come to you today. It's come your way today. Wow, how cool. Can you imagine the hopeless, people that were hopeless and they thought, there's just no chance for me, no chance for me. You know, I'll never get out of my situation. You know, there was that, the, the beggar that had their mat, and you know, they had their mat there by the temple. And to get in a position there for begging, you ha it took years and, and to work your way up and to get into a better place where people would come by that you could beg. And, you know, certain spots were a little better than others. Kind of like being on certain street corners, you know. And some street corners produce a little bit more people will stop and give you some money, you know, than other street corners or whatever. And they worked their way into that. And Jesus came by and he healed the man and he said, Take up your bed or your mat and walk. Get out of here. Basically what he was saying, okay, he was healed, but he said, take up your mat, which meant his place there in line too. Get out of here. Go on now. You don't need to be sitting here anymore the way you were. You've been set free. Now go out and enjoy life. You don't have to be a beggar anymore. The kingdom of God had come by his way, and not only did he have to just wait to beg for something, now he says, hey, now you can be part of the kingdom. And so we, we understand that now then that we can rule and reign with him right now. That's cool. You know, that what he's going to do for us through all eternity, that, that same power and authority is resident in us to rule and reign over the powers of darkness and, and uh, anything that Satan would send against us, we have authority over that. A lot of times there's a struggle. doesn't mean that it's always easy. Most of the time it's not. The Christian life's not always easy. Uh, but it's never impossible. And that's why we say, I can do all, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And even in the suffering and in the difficult times of exercising that dominion and authority, you know, there's opposition comes back. You know, you push this way, sometimes Satan pushes back to see, do you really believe what you're saying? You think you got some power and authority? Let's see how much power and authority you got. We'll, we'll press it a little bit. We'll push it just a little bit and see if what you're saying, if you really believe what you're saying. And that's why Paul calls it a trial of faith. Faith believes something. So do we believe that we have dominion and authority? When we exercise it, a lot of times Satan pushes back and says, well, let's see if you really believe it. When we were in Africa, I, might have, I think I've told this story, but let me share it again. We had uh, preached and taught there in this town called Machacos. And it, part of this was t talking about authority and the, uh, the authority of the believer and that how we've been... Um, also freed from a curse, any curse that had come or whatever, that, that uh, we don't have to live under that, under generational curses and various things. Well, it's very important to them because they, it's a very real thing that um, there are curses there. It's a practice in their life. Some of these uh, areas, the, the Kumba where we were in that particular tribe came from that, and that's a common practice of these you know, curses and different things placed upon them. And and so we taught that, and people were just set free from that. I mean, they were excited. I mean, I'm talking about exciting, jumping up and just saying, yes, I mean, they got it. They were free. 
Well, the word got out. We went, came on back home. The word got out about this freedom and, uh, you know, from curses and all this stuff. And so uh, witch doctors there are not people who run around in grass skirts and got little bones in their ear or nose or something like that. These guys wear business suits, and it's a very... Uh, it's kind of like a justice of the peace. They divide the country up in particular areas and uh, regions. And one of the, the, the main office was in Mombasa. And so the uh, regional or the district um, witch doctor sent one of the other witch doctors up to Machaco's region to tell them, hey, now you ain't going to do this and that you're going to close this church down. There are too many people getting excited and liberated and free, causing havoc. It was messing around with the kingdom of darkness. And so come up and said to uh, shut this down and that they weren't going to operate a as a church. I think at that time they were just renting a building, you know, and so it was like you're not a real church anyway, and that if you don't do this, that there's a curse that's released, and so they read this curse, you know, upon them that, you don't do this, such and such, such and such is going to happen. And the pastor said, wait a minute. We're a child. I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed from the curse. I reverse that curse back to you. So what you're saying would happen to me and to us? No longer. It's going to happen to you. Oh, no, no, no. The witch, this witch doctor that was no, 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 no. Uh, I, I don't want that. I'm just, you know, I'm just a representative, you know. And, and it came, you know, this came from Mombasa. We don't care where it came from. We're not under any curse. We're in the kingdom of God. We've been set free from darkness and from all curse. Well, so this guy went back and told the witch doctor in Mombasa what was going on. Well, I'll go take care of it. So he comes up from Mombasa. Big deal. This is a big deal. And so he tells him in a very public thing, you know, you will, you know, cease and desist in a, in a sort of way and this isn't going to happen and uh, so we're issuing a curse if you don't shut this thing down you're going to die in 10 days pastor says I ain't going to die you're going to die no curse can come to me I'm a child of God I've been redeemed so here he goes I've been redeemed from the curse you know I've been set free so what you curse what you the curse you send to me is reversed back it falls on you well it, it won't fall on me I'm so and so and this and that and whatever so, so let's just see what happens and you know what happened? I'm telling you, in 10 days, that guy dropped dead. You don't think that had an impact on that whole area? After that, we made a trip to Mombasa the next time we came and, uh, and had a church service there and worshiped the Lord. That's when they sent some Al-Qaeda people into the thing, but God took care of that as well. Some of them got saved, healed, and everything like that. But I'm telling you, that authority works. But Satan will push that to see, do you really believe this? There's a trial of faith to say, if you really believe it, then let's just try it out. Let's test it out and see. Let's see who's, whose word is right. I'm telling you that we have dominion and authority. No weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. All those that rise up against us shall fall. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I will rule and reign in this life. Amen. And it starts by ruling and reigning over my own selfish desires, my sinful desires. When I find myself maybe wanting to do what I used to do, I said, no, I'm, I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own anymore. I'm a new creation. Those old things are passed away. I'm new. I'm an heir and a joint heir. And we begin to walk like that, so we rule and reign in our own life. We rule and reign in our own circumstance and situation. We rule and reign in the kingdom of God. And we say, you know, Jesus, when he was teaching them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, that means that we're his representatives right now on the face of the earth as we do that. Say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are exercising kingly authority, right? We're exercising kingdom authority here on this earth. Now, that's important to, realize, to know. It's important to practice and realize because that's the way we ought to live. And we're constantly then pushing back darkness. But what's good about that, the benefits of that are the degree that we rule and reign here in our own life, not allowing ourselves to fall back into sin in our own old way of life, in our own circumstances, and in the, and, and advancing God's kingdom here will determine for all eternity the degree that we're going to have with ruling and reigning with him there. Now, there's a group of people that's seen in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Let's just start in verse 1. I want to read this chapter to you so you can see some people in it and find out some things. When John had been writing, dictating what the Lord had been telling him there in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters had to do with the past, and which would be our past, the past part of the church history, and then what we're living in present. But chapter 4 is a turn. It's a turn for these things which are yet to come. It's yet future. It's still ahead of us. John represents the bridal company of believers who've been ruling and reigning with Christ here on the earth. In chapter 4, we see that that company, he represents, we see this open door that's placed in heaven, and this voice, this trumpet sound of voice calls him, which remember 1 Thessalonians 4.16, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them. We see this translation. So chapter 4 is where that all happens to these overcomers. Verse 1, it says, after this, after the church age, after all these things that, that have been talking about the church age, after this I looked. Now this is before the tribulation starts though. This is before chapter 6 or, and, and some things happening there. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. That's that door of translation, that open door that, that the Lord Jesus had promised the Philadelphia church. You know, what I open, no man can shut. What I close, no man can open. He said, there's a door prepared for us. This is that door. He said, there was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, come up here. Yeah, man, that trumpet call of God is going to be like a voice that says, come up here. And it's going to be a clear sound like a trumpet that you can't miss it. I was sitting in my office this morning praying. And all of a sudden, I heard the trumpet sound. Men of God, come pray. All right, let's go pray. <laughs> trumpet sound. I mean, there was, it was a clear, clear sound penetrated through everything. That trumpet for that bridal company that are longing and waiting and longing his appearance, they're going to hear that and respond. And it says, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So at that point, there's a turn in the book of Revelation, and these are things that are yet future. So here's what's yet future. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Notice that. 24 other thrones. Okay? And seated on them were 24 elders. Everybody say elders. 
They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the thrones came flash, from the throne, this is the one with the emerald, the main throne there. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Uh, these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was uh, what looked like a sea of glass. Clear as crystal. That's, you know, on out this, in there. In the center around the throne, around the throne, hovering around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back, which simply means full discernment. You know, be able to discern things all around. Uh, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. Six is the number of man, by the way. Uh, had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Singing praise and worship to the, their Lord. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you, by your will, they were created and have their being. What's happening here? What in the world's going on? So this is yet future. We know the throne is where the Lord sits and, and he's powerful. What's these other 24 thrones around here? And these 24 elders and four living creatures. What's up with this? John sees this and this is all representative, okay? It's symbolic in saying something. First of all, an el elder is a church term. You know, someone that that's, uh, rises above in particular areas. And so it's a church term. These 24 elders are believers, okay? They are the bridal company. They're the ones that are taken out. When that trumpet sounds, it's taken out. And see, they're, they are promised to rule and reign with him. Well, here we see his thrones there and around us, 24 other thrones that they're seated on, seated on ruling and reigning with him. Heir, Co-regents, heirs and joint heirs, right? They got thrones around. The number 24 is an interesting number because 12 is a, the number of governmental authority. Twice 12 is this, uh, this perfection of governmental authority, ruling and reigning in eternity. Those that rule and reign here on earth, there's a, it's a ruling and reigning. It's a, it's a double. So it's, it's talking about a group of, a company of people, which are believers, that have ruled and reigned. And so they, they were faithful over a few things here. He says, I'll make you ruler over many things. So we see then, here's, here they are, set up with these 24 thrones around the throne, ready to rule and reign with Christ. What's cool about this is that the requirement for this is faithfulness, being faithful over whatever you've been given to do. And so you see, when we're here on this earth, whatever we're called to do, it takes some authority or exercising authority to do what we've been called to do, no matter how large or how small. Maybe it's just coming to church. I can tell you that Sunday's the hardest day to go anywhere. <laughs> it's the hardest day to get up or whatever, right? Especially if you're going to church. It's easy, you know, if you're going to go fishing or go garage selling or whatever, you know. I mean, could, you could get up and it'd be easy to go then. But it's hard if you're going to church. It's like 10 o'clock so early. Really? 
all the other days of the week, 10 o'clock's like, man, we already got half of the day done, you know, right? But so Sunday's tough. So, you know, if that's right now, if that's what you're called to do, but you're faithful over that and you overcome all opposition and, and everything that tries to keep you from doing that, hey, then you have overcome, right? You've overcome those things and now that you are an overcomer. And because you were faithful with what you were supposed to do. Now, other jobs and positions, you know, whatever it is that, that you're to do in the body of Christ, there's a struggle to do that. But when you overcome that, you are an overcomer. And that means that you're ruling. You ruled over that thing. You didn't let it rule over you. So faithfulness is what's the only uh, requirement for being part of this ruling company. Because if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things is that cool or what isn't that cool because you say well wait a minute you know I, I you know i haven't been saved really long and i haven't been doing much for the lord i i don't do what sister so-and-so does and i could never do what you know brother so-and-so does or this and that we start comparing ourselves with others and we say we can't because you know we hadn't been around we're not as mature we're not as smart spiritually and all that wait a minute no 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 the only requirement for ruling for having one of those thrones is faithfulness. Isn't that good news? That's the benefits of God's grace. His grace is so good, it's his favor. He says, if you rule in life, you're faithful and ruling in life, you overcome those things that come against you where you are, I'll make you ruler over many things. You got that? 24 elders. How many of you want to be part of that? Yes, sir. What are they doing? Some people say, well, those are angels. Oh, no, they're not. You look at another chapter right on over, and you see the distinction between angels and the elders. There's a definite distinction. It's church terms, okay? And it's not the whole church because we see this great innumerable company coming up out of, in, in chapter 7, up out of great tribulation where these 24 elders are already there. I don't know about you. I want to be there in a throne not going through this tribulation time. Amen? Yeah. What about these weird things hovering around the throne? What is up with that? Eyes in front, eyes behind. <laughs> Ooh. It's October. We're talking about spooky things, <laughs> weird things. What in the world? Who, what are these four living creatures? You know, Elijah had, uh, or Ezekiel has some vision of some things. Let me just tell you this. Don't get so scared about it. Look at him. The first had the face of a lion. The second had the face of an ox. Did we read that? The third had the, the face of a man. The fourth had the face of an eagle. What are those things? Well, interestingly enough, the four Gospels portray Christ differently. All four of them. Because it says there in one of the Gospels, if, you know, if everything that was written about Jesus was written down, volumes couldn't hold it. Nobody could express really his whole character because, you know, I see something... Marta's seeing something, you know. Troy's looking from that way. He sees another dimension, you know. And Bob's looking this way. So we all have a different perspective of things, right? When Matthew wrote about Jesus in Matthew's gospel, writing mainly kind of to the Hebrews, but you see he's writing about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Talks about in, even in his lineage as he lists out, you know, the lineage of Jesus, it brings out that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so one of these living creatures has the face of the lion. Hold on to that just a second. When Mark 
writes about, in his gospel, he writes about the servanthood of Christ. He came to, to seek and to serve and to save those which are lost. And he came, you know, and, and, and all these things that he did talks about that he came to serve. And he taught us servant leadership and how that we're there to, uh, you know, if we're the greatest of all is the servant of all, right? So the ox is the faithful servant, always trotting out whatever you need him to do, hook up this, this trailer to it, you know, haul this stuff, just the faithful ox, the servant. Always being faithful, never complaining, always going about business, being the servant. So there's a second living creature. Luke portrayed Christ as the Son of Man. He showed the humanity of Christ. In fact, the Son of Man came to do such a and the Son of Man came, and he always refers to it as the Son of Man. And so we see the humanity of Christ, that he was God. All of God, but yet he was human. And it took a man that had to go to the cross and to pay that price. And so we see the humanity of Christ, yet he was divine. But we see that side of him. Jesus wept. We see his, his passion. We see his pain in some ways. And, and so Luke lets us know about the, the humanity of Christ. That third living creature had the face of a man. The fourth had the face of an eagle. You know, John's gospel is really interesting. It's different. It doesn't parallel, really, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It kind of takes another dimension. And, and John begins to express the heavenly nature of Christ, his divinity, his divine, and his love, and how it's over all these things, and it mounts up. And, you know, if we'll just love one another, you know, hey, that's how we get overcome whatever opposition that you might, if, if, if uh, Jeff has something against me, you know, if I'm going to love him. My love's going to overcome that. It's going to rise up. Mount up with wings as eagles, so to speak. Just kind of rise above it. So we see the, the heavenly nature, the divine nature of Christ. All of these four living creatures, not any one of them could express all the characteristics of Christ, but it takes four of them. And you know, someone that's really been a child of God, living for Christ, they, they've, they've been deciding that, desiring to live this overcoming life. You know, here's the Apostle Paul, and he gets saved, and he says, I'm going to live this life of of servanthood for Christ. I'm gonna, I want to be part of the bride. And so you start, you start out and you're faithful over a few things. You're ruling and reigning. And you're ruling and reigning. But as you grow in the Lord, as time comes, you're changing, right? You put off the old, you put on the new. You put off the old, you put on the new. You put off the old, you put on... After a while, you start... What you're putting on is Christ, right? You're putting on character. You put on Christ. And you kind of start to look like him. You know, they talk about... Married couples have been married for a long time. They kind of start adapting some mannerisms, you know, and doing certain things the same way, kind of finish other sentences and sometimes even look kind of like each other, you know. Well, you know what? You're married to Christ. You know what? You're going to kind of look like it. Look, I kind of see that characteristic in them, kind of see that kingly nature in that believer. You know, man, they, they really represent Jesus good. But this other, maybe it's not so much the kingly nature, it's that... That servant, man, they're just such a servant. They represent Jesus so well. I mean, they're ready to, to wash the feet, you know, and, and to serve. That's how Jesus did. He taught us, to, taught us to serve. Or the humanity is like, you know what? They're so real. But they're so real, but yet they're still a Christian wherever they are. It doesn't matter where they are, you know, and they're just, hey, you know what? They are. They're a real human being. They're not so righteous that you can't, you know, they can't even talk to you. Something they, you know, hey, right where they live, but they represent Jesus right where they live. Humanity of Christ saying, you know what? I can live a life of Christ and overcoming life right where I am in every circumstance and every situation. 
And then there's those that, that really, you know, have that divine nature of, of Christ that comes through. So we see these four living creatures. Really what it is, it's a group of saints that's still part of this bridal company, the 24 elders, except they just kind of manifest more of his characteristics. Maybe they have been saved longer than other people have been saved. It doesn't give them any higher place or lower place. They're still right in the throne. It's just that when you see them, they, you see certain characteristics of Christ. Eyes in front and behind, discernment, full discernment. You know, you take someone that's been serving the Lord, an overcoming believer that knows him, understands the Spirit of God, there's a discernment. They can discern not only, you know, the wisdom of God, uh, but also demonic spirits and opposition that comes. There's a discerning that comes there. The four living creatures are part of the bridal company as well. So what we see here in this beautiful picture in heaven, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, this is part of that bridal company and it doesn't make any difference. You don't have to worry, lose sleep at night like, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. If I... Just be faithful. The benefits of this ruling and reigning with Christ, the benefits of that is that he promises us a throne in heaven. He promises us a position in and around his throne with him. Somebody ought to give the Lord praise for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now I want you to turn to 2 Timothy let me see if I can find it here. I think it's chapter, yeah, 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. You know, if anything that's, that's great costs you something, right? Now you say, oh, here it comes. <laughs> well, hey, I'm not going to just give you the good without letting you know what it costs you. And see, it's like ruling and reigning in your life every day. You know what it costs you? Dying to yourself. Dying to that old creation, dying to those old fleshly desires, and choosing to live for Christ. Hey, sometimes that's a real call. I mean, it's a struggle. Some people, oh, that's nothing. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, it can be a real struggle. Whatever that, how the flesh wants to manifest itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, the apostle Paul's telling Timothy here, he says, if we endure, everybody say endure. If we endure, you know what endures, endurance means? To endure something? It means to continue doing something in spite of opposition or difficulty. Endure. Endure. <laughs> One of the motorcycles I had over my lifetime was an en enduro. It was an enduro. A Yamaha enduro. They made this motorcycle in a specific way. How many of you know what an enduro is? Remember some of those? They made it so... It could go on the street if needed be, but you could get off road and you could go, and not only just some trails, but you could climb mountains, you could go through difficult things. In fact, they even had enduro races to see which motorcycle and rider could come through this long race, several hour race, through all kinds of opposition and everything, make it through, you know, and, and, and make it to the finish line. Endure. <laughs> could you endure that race? Can you, when you get to the other end, are you still running? He might be you know, wired together and pieced together, but you'll make it, right? Might have two titanium hips and a, whatever, but we're going to get there, you know? Endure. So that's what Paul's saying here to Timothy. He said, if you endure, or if we endure, we will also what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you want to make it to the, if you endure and get to the finish line and you make it, you're going to reign. You get a trophy. 
You get a crown. You get a reward. He gives you, he says, man, you made it. Come on, you made it. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Now, people, I want to tell you something. The Christian life is not easy. It's really not easy. You have some challenges. You got some valleys to go through. You got some floodwaters to cross. You got some mountains to climb. You got some opposition, right? I ride one time, and, and somebody was in front of me real close, and all of a sudden, they hit this tree branch, a small tree branch, about, only about an inch, wide, inch around. But when they sprung that thing forward, I'm next in line, whop! <laughs> Knocked me clean off that enduro. <laughs> and man, it went one way, I went the other. What was that, you know? Hey, sometimes you get knocked down. You know what I did? I went over and picked up that motorcycle. It jammed up the gear shifter a little bit and bent this around. I just pushed it on, straightened it out, kicked it down, got her, jumped on that sucker and took off riding again. You just got to get back up. You see, that's what Rocky did. That's how Rocky won. He just got up one more time, then he was knocked down and he won. So if you endure, he said, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. You know, if we say, ah, oh, nah, I'm not living for him today. I'm living for myself. Or you begin to go and do whatever you want to do, and maybe somebody can't tell whether you're a believer or whatever. He says, you know what? You're not my bride. You're part of the family. You're going to live together with me. But you're not my bride because you're living for yourself. You're not living for me. But he says, if we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. This thing of reigning I tell you what, there's some benefits. It's better than a 401k. <laughs> it's better than any kind of retirement plan you ever got. I'm not talking about just eternal life. You know, if you are a child of God you and you're saved, you're going to live with him forever. But people, there's something better. And even in this life, it's better than just getting by or whatever. It's like learning how to rule and reign when you can turn around and say, you know what, Whew, that was a tough trial. But you know what, God showed up in the middle of that thing. He showed up in the middle of it, and you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it, how, how he helped you through that situation or whatever. And you endured it. And you made it to the end. Amen. This thing, I wrote down here, endurance is activating hidden strength for my task by keeping my eyes on the future rewards. Activating hidden strengths for what I'm going through for the future reward. You know what? I know that if, if I rule and reign with him here, I'm going to rule and reign with him forever. What I see right now is just temporary. What is unseen is eternal. You know, this trial and tribulation I'm going through right now, that's just temporary. I'm going to make it through this thing. I'm going to get by it. We're going to make it. Might be a little sore. I got up this morning. We've been working, and, and I guess I've been getting down, raising, sitting down, standing up, pulling this around, moving this board and, and that board. When I got up this morning, I go, ooh, wow, I have thighs. <laughs> and they're telling me that they're sore. <laughs> you know, it hurt, you know. I might be a little sore after this race. How many of you ever done some exercise and got sore? You might know you came through it, right? But you overcame it. You're still here, right? And I'm still walking, right? That's what you do. You just kind of, as they used to say, my coaches used to say, oh, walk it off or run it off. <laughs> I never, you never tell, when I was growing up, you never told your coach you were sore. Because if you were sore, you know what their solution for it was? Run another lap, which is usually around the baseball field, you know, the big long lap. And that'll get that soreness out. You know, well, hey, we endure and we reign with him. I want to challenge you today to just look at God's grace. Enjoy his grace.
it's sufficient for you in all areas of your life. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, his favor is upon you that delivers you from the penalty and guilt of sin, sets you free. It liberates you. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It enables you to do what he's called you to do. Gives you the desire and the power to do it. Gives you this promise that, that, hey, one day, you know what? You might be going through a lot of stuff here, but because you keep his command to endure patiently, he, said, he keeps us out of this trial. There's going to be some severe trial coming that we don't have to go through. We've been going through enough of it right now. <laughs> Amen? He said, you don't have to go through this great trial. And then the benefits of it is that, you know what? The same degree that we rule and reign here, we're going to rule and reign with him for all eternity. Hallelujah. Let's pray together this morning. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how you expressed God's grace, his favor to us. We want to be like you. Lord, that uh, thank, we're so thankful that you've given to us this place to rule and reign with you. We rule and reign with you here. If we endure, we're going to reign with you forever. Father, help us to look beyond the problems and the difficulties and the challenges and and those temptations to drop back and do what we used to do. Help us to get our eyes on the future and upon your strength and your power to help us to be able to overcome these things. And Help us say, you know what? I'm choosing to rule over this thing. I'm not going to let it rule over me. I'm going to rule over that. I'm going to be an overcomer. Father, That, like the Apostle Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. Therefore, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Not only me, but for all of those, he says. Lord, that uh, the rewards that we get of these crowns that we can have to present to you and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to catch this so that when, we realize, when we're going through the difficult times, if we have something we can look to, we, we got a finish line we can, we can see. We have something that we can see that's far better than the, the trials that we're going through. We're reminded that your word says that, that uh, of the Lord, that says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame. Father, we want to, the same thing. There's a joy set before us, and that is to be able to rule and reign with you through all eternity. Father, just give us that desire today. Hallelujah. How many of you would say today, Lord, I'm choosing today to put that before me. That's what I'm going to press toward, that mark for the prize of the high calling. That's what the Apostle Paul was setting for, that goal, to rule and reign with him now, rule and reign with him forever. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. The high calling is, it's a higher calling than just making it through. It, it's, it's ruling and reigning with him, that high calling. And Paul said, I press with everything that's in me. I struggle, I push on and I push on and make it through. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Let me tell you something, there's a prize there. It's a high calling for us to come above these things and to rule and reign now. Hallelujah. If you're desiring to do that, just let the Lord know today. Father, just release your grace to us and help us to realize that when we're going through a struggle,
and we can't necessarily see the end, that we can see the finish line. We can see that, that picture of that throne with that emerald rainbow around it and those 24 thrones and the four living creatures there. Help us to get that picture in our mind of ruling and reigning with you, that it's worth it. It's more than worth it. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that, that you're a child of God, you're not sure that you're a believer, and if you have question marks about eternity, you know, choose Jesus today. Receive the grace of God today to become a child of God. And if you're not sure today, while nobody's looking around, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Because I'm not sure that I'm a child of God, but I want to be. Anyone here this morning? Anyone here? You just say, by the uplifted hand, Pastor, will you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Okay, while nobody's looking around, maybe you've been struggling in your life and you feel like that you've just kind of gone your own way and you feel kind of away from God. You don't feel close to him like you, maybe you did at one time, but you say, you know what? I, I, want, to, I want to come back. <laughs> I want to come back. I want to renew that relationship that I have and I'm going to get on this road to overcoming and I, I want to be pleasing to God. If that's you, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, Father, that's me today. I, I want to draw closer to you. I feel like I've kind of gone my own way in some things and, and I want to draw back to you. I'm going to lay aside these things as Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us that we might run with perseverance that race course marked out for us. Amen. So do that today. Lay aside those things that's hindered you or that you're struggling with and get on this race course as a, the bridal race course to run. Father, those that raise their hands right now, you see the desire of their heart is to be closer to you, stronger with you. Lord, to be running with you and for you. Lord, our desire is, is that we would be pleasing to you in all areas of our life. The people around us, when they see us, they would see you in us. They'd see the king. They'd see the servant king. They'd see the humanity of, uh, of, of God in us. They'd see the divine nature of God in us, Lord. That they'd see you in us in some degree. Lord, that's the desire of our heart today. Lord, we want to run this race for you in Jesus' name. Amen.